Thank you so much, Tracy. And now Wayne will talk about the trove of the plough and the stars. Uh, hi. <coughs> um, uh, I, I was invited. I probably could have talked about anything, but I felt like I was invited to talk about the plough and the stars, and I'm very happy to do that. Um, I, I directed the plough and the stars on this stage in 2010, and, and, and again, um, up, up the road in the Belvedere Theatre, for the Abbey, but in the Belvedere Theatre, and on a tour in the UK and around the country. Um, when I returned to rework my production in 2012, I wrote in the programme the following. Uh, this is a play that has haunted the Irish canon for nearly a century, and we turn to it now at a moment of great change as Ireland finds itself again at the end of one story, but also at the inevitable beginning of another. I've had a complicated personal relationship with The Play on the Stars, um, and particularly with my production of The Play on the Stars, uh, since I first directed it. It was the first play that was offered to me that I took on. What I mean by that is um, that in the case of every other play or theatre piece that I had directed previously, the impetus to create the work or to interpret a particular script had come from me or I had pursued that project. I was extraordinarily excited and honoured when um, Fiat McNeil, the artistic director of the Abbey, asked me to take it on. I knew it well and I loved it for its language, its characters, its humanity and particularly for its women. Um, but it meant putting myself at the coal face of the national canon and on the national stage. And even that sentence is exhausting. <laughs> this was something I had studiously avoided throughout my work in the theatre, Ireland as a subject, the actual organisation of the society I actually live in. Whilst my work to that point had been always with other Irish or Dublin-based artists created from our own particular and local viewpoints, we were working as citizens of the world, of the Western world at least, or of the just world still to come, soldiers of poetry for whom the forms of theatre and drama were political, activated enough to fulfil our requirement, or to accommodate us in hiding away from the world, probably both. Directing Plough meant taking the more banal realities of where I was, where I came from and where we were going out of my peripheral vision and placing it front and centre. I was petrified of the historical and political action in the play as I have always felt alienated from the myths and heritage of the Irish story as a young boy whose, no whose behaviours were not considered normal for his gender to the degree that even his, to his four and five year old eye they notably struck fear and then anger or disdain on the faces of the adults around him. I had never seen much of a place for myself in the story that had led to the anxious society that I found myself in. I remember distinctly staring in my bathroom mirror at a very young age, challenging the overlords in a fairer world that I imagined to be on the other side to come and take me away from this topsy-turvy, unjust, backward version of, the, of life that I found myself in. The invitation, the invitation that, I found, uh, that I received from the Abbey was one that meant that whatever else I would be doing as an artist on the project, I would have to deal with being Irish and what my responsibilities are as an Irish artist. And that costs something and it still does. It's impossible to separate out my work on The Plough and the Stars from the play I directed just months before, Thomas Kilroy's brilliant and devastating Christ Deliverus. Christ Deliverus was a new version of Frank Vedekin's um, Spring Awakening set in 50s Ireland, a play about the oppression and repression of sexuality and ideas in the relatively new republic. As the rest of Europe emerged from the Second World War, a measly-minded, brutal and fearful Catholic-coloured order had tightened its suffocating grip during the Irish emergency. It was a job I actively pursued. Sexuality and ignorance and Irish life was something I felt confident to work with and resourced to be creative around. The Ryan report was released just months before we began rehearsal. The scale of institutional abuse and state negligence um, over a history of many decades was utterly apparent. The Celtic Tiger was over, over. The economy had crashed. Our leaders had failed us. Thomas Kilroy's 
play was a kind of John the Baptist to my work on O'Casey. Obviously, it shared themes. It was part of the same story, the same history. Like Tom's play, O'Casey's is a history play written a decade after the event that it's about. It uses imagination, fantasy, the literary, poetic, and dramatic to reflect upon and question history, to reflect upon and question the contemporary moment. Like Tom's play, that is how it might be used. It is an artistic and political action, not a document of Easter week. It's a provocation for discussion in action, not a sepia-tinted photograph, not a sentimental ode, not a celebration, and most decidedly not a commemoration. Once I got through the history I felt I didn't know, excite the voices I felt controlled or overstated it, I of course realised that the plough and the stars, through Christ delivers, that, uh, through the plough and the stars and through Christ delivers, that many of us felt alienated from the official story of Ireland. Indeed, Sean O'Casey did. That, in fact, was what the play The Plough and the Stars was about, what it's still about. <clears throat> the problem is it can be very difficult to get people to listen to that. I'd like to quote from uh, Angels in America by Tony Kushner. Um, Walter Benjamin, who, I, who um, Stacey quoted earlier, was a big influence on my production of The Plough and the Stars and my approach to it. And I came across him through uh, Tony Kushner's Angels in America. In Angels in America, Harper asks, in your experience of the world, how do people change? And a Mormon mother responds to her. God splits the skin with a jagged thumbnail from throat to belly and then plunges a huge filthy hand in. He grabs hold of your bloody tubes and they slip to evade his grasp, but he squeezes hard. He insists, he pulls and pulls till all your innards are yanked out and the pain. We can't even talk about that. And then he stuffs them back, dirty, tangled and torn. It's up to you to do the stitching, Harper. And then you get up and walk around, Mormon mother, just mangled guts pretending. That's how people change. The Plough and the Stars is a play about crisis, change, and self-invention. It tells the story of an end and a beginning. A group of Irishmen and women looked at the world around them and imagined a different Ireland. In 1916, they went out about bringing that idea into existence. Ten years later, <coughs> Sean O'Casey brilliantly and angrily tore at the mythologising of Irish heroism and romantic nationalism. He wrote the decimation of female agency and the neglect of the urban working class and the public life in the emerging Irish state. The brutal heritage of violence, religion and ideology over community, civic values and material need are thrown into relief at the central moment of our national narrative, paving the way for a century of misogyny, sexual fear and ignorance in public policy and domestic life. O'Casey shifts the spotlight from the GPO and the podium, and the podium and into the living room of the uh, pubs and side streets of Tenement Dublin. The struggling natives of a city already broken on the back of imperialism and the effects of the Great War all imagine various radically different islands for themselves, unionist, communist, nationalist, Catholic. Their desperate need to create dignity and wrestle a story for themselves in crackling and results in crackling and virtuosic displays of language, scavenged from the Bible, the law, the streets, the pub, the music hall, the meeting hall, language turned in on itself for upside down and inside out, lengthened, somersaulted, bent, torn and reshaped. My plough and the stars occurred in a broken music down, uh, broken down, broken music down, broken down music hall, ringing with the shards of languages of politics and religion that hung heavy in the air of 1916 Dublin. The broken teeth of its scaffolding were evoking images of the burnt-out GPO, a precarious and dangerous Dublin, and also the contemporary unfinished building site. Flags and bunting tell, uh, fell from the flies. The real material necessities of tenement living collided with the pomp and circumstance <clears throat> of big ideas. It lamented the triumph of a vain and romantic nationalism over the socialist agenda represented by the flag of the plough and the stars, the shutting down of possibility an end and a terrible beginning. 
We were about... We were about to have another chance, though, a new beginning. The idea of a second republic was being bandied about, an idea so extraordinary you could get drunk on it. I was inspired by the broken-bodied and fractured female forms in the photographs of Francesca Woodman. They made me think, they made me think of Nora decimated for her aspirations, for her wanting of something for herself, a life. By the work of Dermot Ferreter on social history, by James Moran's brilliant book on the staging of the rising, and by Walter Benjamin's angel of history. Directing the plow in the stars was a baptism of fire. From the off, I was inundated with advice and warnings. My mother says, you better not fuck this up. <laughs> this person's mother, of course, had given a major interpretation of the role in the play. You better get the songs right. You better get the accents right. Later on, people would write to me about their difficulties with what they considered to be historically inaccurate pronunciations. My father was from the tenements, and that's not how he spoke. Could you please restore the original pronunciation? <clears throat> Actors stood on the rehearsal floor in sheer terror of those who had come before them. People felt they owned it. People felt they had no right to it. It was infectious and exhausting. Of course, you hope together you break these things down and there are great joys to be had in the text. Many critics and colleagues remarked on how the play seemed new minted, but it is haunted by ghosts and sometimes inexcusably enthralled to them. Audiences could suddenly start to behave like they were at a sing-song, joining in and laughing at what they presumed to be familiar even when we were playing it in a different key. People could insist on seeing the play they wanted to see when that play was never there in the first place. I perhaps had been too open to experience, trying to listen to all there was and allow meaning, which usually works for me as an approach, but there was so much more to control in the end than the play itself. The context, the expectations, the denial were overwhelming. To steal another image from Angels in America, or the Bible originally, I felt like Jacob wrestling with an angel. There was magic in the air, but in the end, one of us was going to have to lose. And maybe on some nights it was me, and on some nights it was him. I found it a much different and often more rewarding experience to play the show in the UK, where it was less well known and responses were fresh and surprising and emotional at a human level. Of course, that happened here as well, but less generally. I'm going to skip over this bit. Um, and that bit. Um, I'm extraordinarily proud of my achievements on Playing the Stars and of the achievements of my collaborators. Perhaps I put too much pressure on the play, too much pressure on myself, but we all know something has to give. And I had meant it, turning to this play now at a moment of great change as Ireland finds itself again at the end of one story, but also at the inevitable beginning of another. And I believe that the theatre can be, must strive to be, a catalyst for change. I think about how, and entirely off my own back, that to speak on the national stage about Irishness, I was asking my actors for the first time to change their everyday accents and abandon their everyday bodies. The theatre, at least the drama, of course, is an act of imagining, but in what direction and at what cost? We can, we must dialogue with the ghosts of the past, but we can't be enthralled to them. That's my responsibility as an Irish artist. I imagine a different production, something that can, I, I, I can afford to do, uh, standing on the back of what I've done before, of course, but a new production that forces the play to exist in the present moment and drags its audience into, the dialogue, into a dialogue with it. I'm not sure that would do to the, what that would do to the gags, but if that bends the thing out of shape too much, maybe the requirement is a new play or something beyond the play, building from it. We'll always have the original play on the stars. I imagine touring with it around the Middle East, sharing it with those countries who have gone through their own recent revolution, discussing the idea that revolution has to be continual to have effect, coming back and living that. The rising of the people cannot be a moment only and it must not become legend. Change is painful and necessary, and we have to live it. Like love, it is an action and something we have to get better at.
Thank you.